Hello, and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. And today we're going to talk about real financial freedom with our guest, Jennifer Sahady. Jennifer is a money expert and walking Wikipedia of money. She gained these titles working as a retirement education consultant, traveling across the country, educating people of all ages and industries about personal finance and investing. In her 17 years of work in finance and education, Jennifer worked with more than 10,000 individuals in 1,000 companies. She has seen the many paths of success and failure and can help you, dear listener, achieve your dreams and avoid financial difficulty. In September of 2020, Jennifer started her own company to provide the financial education she saw missing in schools and communities across the country. Now she delivers keynote speeches and workshops on financial wellness to businesses, universities, schools, and professional organizations. When Jennifer isn't presenting for work, she's presenting for fun. In 2020, she delivered a TEDx talk on money and relationships. And in 2013, Jennifer was the first runner-up for the Toastmasters International Annual Speech Competition. She's joining us from Boston. Jennifer, welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. Thank you so much, Mike. It's such a pleasure to be here. What a cool story. Thank you so much. It's funny hearing it all in retrospect. It sounds wild. And it is such a cool opportunity that we have to have this conversation with you. Really the first time that we've touched on finance, which is a pretty big deal for most people as they go through their professional and personal lives. So I'm pumped. Definitely. Can you tell us a little bit more about your career story and what sort of brought you to this point today? Absolutely. So you know how most people when they're little, like, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a fireman, and like they play house and all of those things. I was a little kid playing store and like renting Barbie dolls to my sister. Nice. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Like if you ever wonder, like, how did you become this person? I think oftentimes when we see young kids, you're like, yeah, I know who they're going to end up as. And like that doesn't change, right? As you begin to meet more adults, you start to see like really similar career paths with different people. And that just kind of guides you in a certain way. So I never expected to be in finance uh, and helping people with money, but money just always made sense to me. Hmm. So natural, like, Duh. <laughs> I love it. You don't have to overthink it. <laughs> and we, we, it's something we talked about in a past episode too, actually about sort of finding your superpower and that you find something that made you weird as a kid. And so you've just taken that and made that into something amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. It still makes me weird. Like I often joke, like I know a lot about finances. I'm a walking Wikipedia of money. It makes me really cool at parties. <laughs> said nobody no I, I would be interested but I'll I'll speak for maybe only myself there but you never know we're the real cool kids that's right I mean I would too so I'm on board with this <laughs> this is sounding like the first post-quarantine party that I want to go to <laughs> yeah In. one one day one day for sure so financial literacy like we've kind of hinted at already it's a pretty important topic that tends to not be all that well understood by a lot of people um, and especially those who are just starting out in their careers. And why do you think that is? Yeah. So it's funny, financial literacy and financial wellness, it seems like something that would be at the core of our education system and the core of everything we do, but it's long been thought like it's one of the three topics you just don't discuss it's rude to talk about it and that includes bringing it up to learn about it 
so unfortunately, if we're not talking about it in conversations with our friends and our family, if we're not learning it in school, what happens is whenever we have a major life decision, right? You're growing up, you're an adult, you want to buy a house. Who do you talk to? Well, you talk to a house expert, a real estate expert, who is also an expert salesperson, right? You go to buy a car, we already know, car salesman. Even if you go to look at a grad school, everyone you're talking to is an expert in their area, but they're also a salesperson. And that's why I think we desperately need financial literacy. There needs to be someone who knows the stuff and has no skin in the game, who isn't trying to sell you anything. I love that point. And you've made me kind of think really quickly about the fact that um, sales as a, just to hit way on this really quickly, sales has gone from being something where buyers used to not know anything about what they were buying. And like you said, they would turn to an expert and the expert would educate them to now we're in a world where there's lots of information available for a buyer. You can make a lot of informed decisions before you even get to a salesperson and that hasn't really happened in the world of finance from what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, it's true. And it's funny because it's one step further. I was talking to someone just this morning and they said, oh, my guy at a big financial company, I won't drop any names. He taught me and he did it for free. And I said, how nice of him. And they said, so what's the difference between you and this guy? And I said, well, he works for this company and I work for you. Right. Like, and it was this really amazing difference. And she kind of paused and thought about it for a little bit. And I said, do you know what you're paying for the services beyond that free session that you spoke with him? And she had no idea. And I said, I can guarantee you, you've paid him over $2,000 in the last year. Like that's the bare minimum it could have been. But it's just like the insider secret that, you know, from doing it again and again and again, and always seeing the numbers but what always makes me laugh is that eureka moment where someone thinks that financial guy wasn't just being nice and doing that for free. <laughs> like, oh, gasp, how could he or she, right? Only 20% of financial advisors are women, but there are some of us out there. And that was something I noticed through my career. Like my job was to sign people up for the retirement plan, but I'm just like a holistic person. And if someone didn't have an emergency fund, I didn't want to put them into an account where they wouldn't be able to access that money for 40 years. Mm -hmm. right? Like, well, something could likely come up between now and then. And I know you can take the money out of the account, but there are all these penalties and taxes. So like, let's set you up for real success. And I kept like pushing the envelope internally. Like, well, if you want me to sign people up for the retirement plan, I have to teach them about the investments in the plan. And in order for them to get those investments, they need to have discretionary money. So you have to let me teach them budgeting. But then that goes into their relationship with money. So you have to let me study behavioral finance and help them with their emotions around money until the point where the company has realized, like, wait a second, you really want to be in education. You don't want to just be signing people up for <laughs> retirement plans. And I realized it too. And that's kind of where this all came from. I think there's another point there and Mike, you sort of touched on it and that there is so much information out there, but it doesn't feel very accessible. So for anybody who doesn't have a financial baseline of understanding, they might go and try to do some research on their own, but there's just so much that it can be overwhelming and also intimidating. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. A lot of people ask like, where do I get started? And even I wonder, like, just talk to me. 
just just send me an email. Like I just, like I started with Investopedia. It has like a lot of basic terms and articles that are really good. But the second you get into the blogosphere, right? These are people either giving their own personal advice or they're, they have an angle, right? They have a reason that they're nudging you towards it. Mm -hmm. And this was something I noticed when I was working at like 401k plans, there'd be these articles saying IRAs are better than 401ks. And I would like instantly smirk because like my favorite game whenever I read something is like, well, what's your angle? And I'll only go like to the bottom and it'd be like from Joe Schmo who sells IRAs. You're like, ah, <laughs> like I knew it. And it was just like this fun game I kind of played with myself. I don't think of people as being like evil and manipulative geniuses. I just think you drink the Kool-Aid, right? If you sell IRAs, you believe in them. And yes, you have an incentive, right? I was in 401k, so I was curious like, are IRAs better than 401ks? Like, am I missing something? Like, what if someone knows something I don't and I'm presenting and then I lose my credibility? Like, I need to know everything. So I would read all these articles and I started to see a pattern and it was funny for me. And then I'd have conversations with my friends or my family and I'd see them read one of these articles and take it as like the word of God. And you're like, oh no, oh no. Like, it's funny for me because I can recognize it in the the grand scheme of things. But if someone is just trying to dive in and learn on their own, it's so easy to just fall on the wrong path. Absolutely. So you've, you've touched on a lot of different things and a lot of reasons why it would be helpful for people to understand. What are some of the, the main reasons why it's important for people to have that basic understanding of personal finance? Oh, it's such a great question. I think it touches everything we do, right? So whatever your dream is, it likely needs financing. So even if you're not someone who wants to make a million dollars, like if you just want to have a happy life and go on vacations every once in a while, well, that requires money, right? If you want to have a family, well, that requires money. If you're trying to choose between different jobs, like, well, that requires money. Like I'm not someone who worships money. I try not to think about it as often as possible. To me, like having that deep understanding of financial wellness and having a sense of what my numbers are allowed me to go from reading every article, watching the market every day, knowing where every penny went to not noticing at all, because all of it's now just in the background. There are the habits like brushing your teeth and turning off the stove that you just do automatically. And that to me is real financial freedom. It's not looking at the market every day to see how much did I make or lose. It's not obsessing over who pays for what, but really using money as a tool and mastering money instead of money mastering you, which is what I see all the time. Like naively, when I was in my 20s, I thought like, once I make six figures, then everything will be perfect. Like that's the magical <laughs> realm where just everything gets better and you eat caviar and ride in a limo. <laughs> and then you get to meet those people and they're miserable. Like they would have higher debt than people making 30,000 and they'd be further from retirement because they were used to making so much money it was so hard to save enough to keep up with that lifestyle. And that isn't to say like, feel bad for the rich, right? It's to say what you might think is like the next plateau, like the next level. It's not necessarily there, right? Like you need to really get what money is and how it works for you and how to integrate it with your life and in your relationships to have that freedom. It's not a dollar amount to buy that level of freedom and comfort. So interesting and such a perspective shift that I think will be really beneficial for a lot of people. And I like what you're saying too about the amount of money not being the thing. There was a, I read a study that 
the average person is happiest around 78,000 a year. So if you go above that, you're not really getting any happier and you're sort of in that normal range. Yeah, I love those studies, right? Then when they dig in and they say, like once your basic needs are met and then you can go on vacation, Mm -hmm. you're fine, right? Like more (laughs) isn't gonna mean more. And yet when they ask those people like in surveys, like how much do you need to be happy? The answer is always more. Like people don't Mm -hmm. self-report that they have enough. And this is something Mike and I were talking about. It's like this enough mentality. And I think particularly like you were saying before, Lisa, there's so much that we have access to, so much information, so many countries, so many flavors of ice cream. Like we are inundated with options and we're sold on getting more makes better happiness. And I want to take that pull back to say like, what is your enough? Like, when will you actually be happy? Like, how will you know it? Because there's literally too much stuff in the world to ever have everything, right? Like, even if you had all the money in the world, you don't have the time to buy it all or to use it all, right? So getting a a moment to say like, well, what really makes me happy? Is it working more hours and having more money in the bank? Or is it having a job that gives me flexibility, right? And like, what kind of lifestyle goes with that? I'm curious to know, so is there anything else that you'd want to add in terms of helping young professionals sort of understand this mindset, this different mindset of real financial freedom that you've talked about now? Yeah. I mean, there's so many things. One of the things I would start with is money is just paper, right? It's not something to like slave over. It's not something to fight over. It's not anything that's all powerful in and of itself. Like I think we idolize money in a way and the people who have it. And we think of all the ways it could be different or better. But when you take a step back and you just remind yourself, it's a means for easier transactions. That's it. I really find that to be really helpful. Yeah. So like what I'm hearing there is you're kind of powering down a lot of what we put in the meaning of money and taking back some of that power perhaps in in a way. Absolutely. Yeah. You said it better than I did. It's like when you're thinking about money, people attach like status and Mm -hmm. worth and success to it when really it's just paper, paper and a little bit of cloth. And not even anymore. A lot of times it's just a thought. It's so true now that things are going digital. There's a lot um, when it comes to personal finance. What are some of the main categories that people should think about when it comes to personal finance? So I might have to ask a question on the question, if you don't mind. I know we're not supposed to do that, but we're not supposed to talk about money either and we're doing it. (laughs) Um, So the idea of like, what categories are you thinking of like a balance sheet, like debts versus assets? Are you thinking about like different types of savings? Are you talking about growth? Yeah, more like um, saving, investing, spending, that kind of thing. Absolutely. So One of the really cool things, like when you like going down rabbit holes, as Mike has promised to save you all from, because I love rabbit holes, is that like in the Jewish tradition a long time ago, they would say there are five categories of money. Like whenever you have money, you spend some, of course, money's for spending. You save some because another day you will want to spend. You invest some to try to grow that money. You share some, right? You give to charity and you tithe, you give back to the church, which I think is funny that it's one of the pillars. To me, if you're non-religious, you can cut it down to the four, right? You want to always share your money. You want to save some for the future. You do want to enjoy some, 
even though I'm a financial person, you'll never hear from me, like hoard it all for the future. You never know. Like I'm not a Scrooge McDuck swimming in money and never spending it. I think it's finding that balance, right? Like taking that one vacation a year, but knowing that means not going out to eat more than once a week to have that balance, to work the job that you want, to have the flexibility to do the things you want. That is awesome. Yes. And those, those four slash five pillars, I think just that creates a framework for people to start to think about, like, um, because something I have heard is from people around our age is I have this money and it goes somewhere and I'm not like on the street, but I have no idea where my money is. Yeah. It's funny. Like I, I've asked people that, right. How many of you have ever asked where did my money go? And like back when we could all be in a room, you would see the arms fly up. Like everyone has that question. Like, where did my money go? And yet, like we worked so hard for it, right? It's fascinating how hard we'll work for money and how important money is to us. And yet how easily it just disappears. It's kind of funny to me. And I like helping people kind of look at that. I call it intentional spending, right? Like Mm. I intentionally worked hard for this money and I'm intentionally going to use it. That doesn't mean not spending, but it means spending on things that are important to me. And I'll give you a great example. Okay, so in my 20s, I would go out drinking, right? Pretty common thing to do. And when you look at the numbers at the end of the month, I was spending $100 a month on drinking. Very easy to do. It kind of ages me. It's much more now, I think. I think that could be one <laughs> night of drinking now, especially if you're in a major city. Right. And I started to think about it and I thought, you know, I don't like the way I feel after I'm drinking and like, that's a lot of money. I could probably do something different. And I was like beginning to get older and more mature and like swankier things. And I found this amazing place for massages and it was 50 bucks. I was like, I have a proposition for myself. You have a dry month, you get a massage. Right. So now I'm enjoying something that's good for my body. That's something I consider to be swanky and I'm actually saving money too. Right. Because I chose something that was less than what I was originally spending. And so I tested it. My friends would say, oh, do you want to go out drinking? Yes, but I want to massage more. Right. Like I have this great incentive. I have this short term goal that will help me with my short term and my long term. And at the end of the month, I got that massage and I never looked back. Never. It was amazing. And now I lightened up a little bit. You know, you can get a massage and have a bottle of wine, but I don't do the same going out to bars. And that was really, really intentional. But you had to kind of take a step back and reflect, like, where is my money going? Right? Like, what am I doing with it? And is that what I really want? Now, if you're doing this for yourself and you say, I spend 100 bucks a month on drinking and that's smart. I like it. It socializes me. It lets me burn off stress. There's nothing else I'd rather do with that money. Keep doing it, right? Like judgment free. But when I looked at it, I thought, I actually don't want to do this. So I'm going to stop and I'm going to give myself a new habit and an incentive to really make that behavior change. And so coming back to this intentionality and this idea of real financial freedom, it sounds like it, it depends on the person. Like there's no one definition of that. Is that fair to say? Yes, absolutely, Lisa. And I love that you said that and you called it out so clearly and simply. And this was something else that would kind of get my goat. Right? When I looked at some of the other financial gurus or even life coaches, they would say like, this is my way of doing things. This is how I achieve success. This is what you should do. And like you said, I was weird when I was younger. I'm still weird. Right? I recognize that we're all different and unique and what really makes me happy could make you perfectly miserable. And when people are miserable, it has this awful ripple effect, right? 
ideally everyone is following their own bliss. So you have to find the approach that works for you. Absolutely. There's no one way. And I don't like anyone who says there is. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're definitely subscribers to the idea from just a career development standpoint that there's a lot of pathways that you can take to get to wherever you want to go and where you want to go is different from where someone else wants to go. And that will change what the map looks like for you. Uh, not just what the destinations that are on the piece of paper, your figurative piece of paper looks like your map of life, but the roads that you can take to get there. So we totally subscribe, ascribe, subscribe. One of those two, we're scribes of that idea for sure. Ascribe and subscribe below. Yes. <laughs> Okay. So hypothetical situation here, let's say that you are someone starting out in their career and you've secured your first kind of significant, I'll even air quotes, say adult salary, right? You've gone out into the world and all of a sudden you feel like maybe you feel like you have money coming your way. What should you be doing with that money? My goodness. So first of all, get excited, right? Like this is a major life milestone and it doesn't happen often, right? So like get excited emotionally. That doesn't mean like go out and go on a spending spree. It means like just get excited, recognize that this is a huge opportunity in your life and then reflect on what it means for you now and what it could mean for you. Hmm. So one of the things I like to model out is different scenarios. Like if I spent all of my money, what does that mean, right? Well, I can get this really swanky apartment. I can get this nice new car. I can afford this payment. And then if you think about, well, if nothing changed, right? If I stayed on my college budget of ramen and like walking everywhere, <laughs> like what would that mean? And then figuring out if there's something in between that makes sense, right? And just mapping it out, right? If I keep doing that in five years, where will I be? In 10 years, where will I be, right? So the people who often just try to scrimp by, Often the five year is I lose it. I binge. I go like to Thailand for a month and then I'm back at step zero. And the ones who spend everything often regret it, right? Like, oh, but I think about all the money I spent in my 20s, like what I could have done had I known, right? And I'm all about living a life without regrets. So when you think about like, what does it mean for me in the present? Also project out what does that mean for me in the long run, knowing that that could change. Right. Obviously, plans will change, even if you're on your unique path. In five years, you're a different you, right? So you might want something else, but making sure that you're balancing what you want today and what you want in the future will give you more options in that future, whatever it might be. That's huge. Uh, I definitely think it can be very easy to just sort of be in the moment with that new salary, that new beginning stage of your career, and to not sort of see how can you I like your comment around excitement, but how can you also create an exciting future from that point? I also see a lot of people, and I don't know if this is necessarily advice coming from experts or it's more advice coming from like family members. Um, but sometimes people will say, you know, your first paycheck, go out and spend it on something that's going to make you really happy. Is that something you would recommend? It's funny because again, it goes back to your relationship with money, right? Like I love when I have options. So I know once I've spent that money, I have given up my precious options and I feel a little loss. Like, oh, like I can't spend that dollar again. It's already gone. Now I have to go and earn more, right? So I don't know if I would say go out and spend it because that wouldn't make me happy. And also like, what is that setting you up for in the future, right? If that's always your gut reaction, when something good happens, I spend. 
right? But I would say if that's part of your plan, right? Going back to the original, like I will spend some, I will save some, I will invest some, like absolutely spend some. Like you want to celebrate in whatever way celebration is best for you. So absolutely celebrate that moment. Like for me, it would be going for a hike. It's one of my favorite things to do. And it's free. <laughs> and like that to me is a double win. I'm like, I'm happy and I didn't waste any money. Yes, winning. Amazing. I love it. All going back to intentionality, right? It's easier when you like get that sense of what do I really, really want? Makes total sense. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Let's play another sort of hypothetical situation out here. Imagine you are someone getting their first career promotion, significant career promotion. You've established sort of a post uh, university, post college lifestyle. You have a professional lifestyle, quote unquote, and now more money is coming in and you have the opportunity to make a decision around what your lifestyle looks like. What should be going on in your head at this point? I love this. So I would take a step back and reflect and say, up until this point, had I been sacrificing in a certain way? Like, does this now give me more flexibility or was I perfectly happy before, right? So when I was earning 50,000, I had everything I needed. I was perfectly happy. I didn't need that 78,000. So as I started getting more, I just kept it. Cause it's like more money isn't gonna make me happier at this point. But if later on, who knows, in the middle of a pandemic, I wanna quit my job then I'll have the money to do that, right? Like later on, this might come in handy, but at this moment, I don't need it. And you can think about it like having a backpack of snacks. Like I love sugary snacks, love sugar, right? But that doesn't mean I have to eat them all at once, right? I love it today. I'll also love it tomorrow. And having one candy bar isn't going to make me any happier than having five candy bars. So why wouldn't I just have the one and then have four other happy days, Right. So just having that long term vision of like in the long run, what makes me happiest? And this comes from my own personal experience and it comes from working in retail. Some of my early Mm. jobs, like, you know, you either go into fast food, you go into retail. I was in retail. And as you can imagine, I love people. So I would be your best friend for the day. Like you came in the store and I'd be like, hi, Lisa, we're going to shop together and it's going to be so much fun. Like, and I loved it. And I would help these women shop and I would like get to know them. Like they would become my friends, like momentarily. And quite a few of them would come back about a month later. And they were in a completely different mood. They were not like excited, happy, fun person anymore. They were dejected and they were bringing in returns because they had that splurge and that's what they wanted to feel happy was that spending. But because in the long term it wasn't sustainable, they had to then have that moment of return. And it was tough for them to break that cycle because I would see it month after month. And it got harder and harder for me to say like, let's stop. Cause I'd be like, oh, Uh-oh. you're not gonna actually get to keep this. Like, I don't wanna give you a puppy and then take it away. Like what type of monster does that? Right. So just helping people see like, yes, enjoy the moment, but like, think about the long term too, because I want you to be happy today and in a month and in five years. And that comes from the short term retail splurges. It comes from seeing people who are near retirement, right, who would be 70 and they would say, everyone else is retired, but I can't afford to. I guess I was just unlucky. And you start to look through the account balance and the history because you can look through all of that. And you're like, sometimes it's luck. Sometimes, sometimes it's just an unintentional path, right? Mm-hmm. If you didn't take advantage of the opportunities you had, it can bring bad luck. 
Hmm. Yeah. And it's funny because it reminds me, I wanted to go back to this earlier and I just remembered when you get that new salary or when you get your first salary, it's not like winning the lottery, right? It's a contract for a year. It's not a guarantee. You don't actually have that money at that moment. And I always want to remind people of that because things change, right? Like you might have a company that gives you a huge raise and then suddenly they have layoffs, right? And you're like, but you were going to pay me $200,000. But if I was only there for two months, <laughs> I didn't actually get $200,000, but I started spending in anticipation of that, mm-hmm. right? So always I want to just keep people in mind with that, like line up your spending with the income instead of in anticipation of the income because it might not happen that whole don't count your eggs before they hatch love it reminds me of national lampoon's christmas vacation (laughs) what happened in that i can't remember (laughs) he's expecting his his christmas bonus oh yes chevy chase i bought a pool exactly bought a pool then they said by the way, no bonuses. And he was crushed. Yeah. It's so funny you mentioned that because that does happen all the time, right? Like I often would see people with mid six figures and like high debt and they would be devastated that I didn't get my $200,000 bonus this year. They're like, oh, no wonder you have so much debt because like 200,000 can just come and go like that. Whereas I'd have to work years for that money. Like that can happen in the drop of a hat. But like Mm -hmm. when you live that fast, you're always like one bonus or one job away from a lifestyle that's really different. Like when you see celebrities or sports Mm -hmm. stars who make a million dollars in a year and then they're broke. Yeah, totally. Cool. Very thought provoking. We've spoken a lot about uh, sort of from an expense and budgeting standpoint and I think from like an an income creation standpoint, I've heard a really interesting line from a guy named David C. Baker. Maybe this is a little bit more of an entrepreneur's perspective. I'm just going to throw it out there. He has the saying that money is like a river. You just need to find a way to put your cup into it in the sense that there is a lot of money out there in the world. And how do you, best go about accessing it. Does that strike any chord with you? It's so interesting. It actually befuddles me. Like I want to know so much more about the context because I don't see money as an endless stream, right? Mm. Like the economy certainly is an endless exchange of money. But in meeting all of these different people, I don't know anyone who lived that lifestyle, right? Like I just have to wait for the sun to rise the next day. It always comes right? Like there is always this, this scarcity, even with people who do really well. Like there was one day when I was talking to people one-on-one-on-one back to back to back, and it was all levels of the company. There's this guy who worked on the line in a manufacturing plant. He was making 30,000 a year and he was really concerned that he did not have enough money to retire. And he was really worried about his future. And it was a really tough conversation. And then the next conversation with, was with one of the C-level execs. And it was the same exact conversation, like with the same heaviness. So when I hear like, yeah, money's just out there. You just have to grab it. That, that seems to me like it's someone who either was born into wealth and they were just always surrounded by it or has been very hardworking, but also very lucky 
as an entrepreneur, but I'd want to know more about it, right? I like the idea of it, right? That you, if you work hard, it's out there, you can get it. Like the optimism, like the optimist in me, you see, I am befuddled. The optimist in me loves it, but the accountant in me wonders like, but where, like where are the numbers coming from? Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to maybe go too much further and risk um, blowing the context of the original quote, but I think where it's coming from is the idea that um, it's, it's the cup that that's the part of the metaphor that's interesting to me because it's about how you create the value that gives you the access to the river. Mm, I like that. That may be so a whole other topic. Access? Yes, exactly. Yeah. It could be a whole nother topic, but from that perspective, it makes a lot more sense. Like there's money out there, like find your way to access it on your terms. So there's so many topics to cover when it comes to financial literacy. How would somebody start to learn? Obviously they should call you. Everybody should call you, but outside of that, what are some other resources or ways that people can find out more? So it's funny, if you could see my face on this podcast, uh, if you've ever been an entrepreneur, you realize the ultimate terror of not only what if I fail, but like, what if I succeed? Like, please don't all call me. Like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I don't have time to help everyone. How do I scale this? But absolutely like educate yourself, not just like reading blogs, but like reading books, taking courses on Coursera, like anything that you can that's free. Just be a source of knowledge because the more you know, the easier it is to kind of suss out what's opinion versus what is general knowledge. So I would start with what are the things you can do with money like you did? What are the accounts that you can do those things with, right? And like slowly build that knowledge and then start eliciting people's opinions on it and recognizing that they're opinions, Right. So for example, if you want to invest, well, what are the different accounts that you can invest through? Everyone knows brokerage. Everyone starts with brokerage. Why? Because they have the best salespeople. Mm -hmm. Brokerage accounts have the best marketing. I fell for it when I first got out of college too. I was like, I'm going to invest my money. And I didn't know about tax benefits and that in an IRA, there are some similar benefits and some better benefits. Right. So before I got into, well, what stock should I buy? What I would have rather done and what I would coach someone else to do is say, well, what are my options? And in any other field of life, that just makes sense. Right. You don't go into a restaurant, not look at the menu and be like, food, please. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll take whatever you're giving me. Thank you. <laughs> like, I am hungry. And yet, like, that's what we do when it comes to investments and the financial field is ready for that. They're like, well, hello, Mike. Here's an annuity, <laughs> some life insurance and a brokerage account for you. And you're like, what about that other stuff over there? And like, bah, 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 bah. here's the stuff I want to give you. <laughs> so it's much easier to get the stuff that people want to sell you than maybe the stuff that might be better for you. So first, just arm yourself and inform yourself with the knowledge of what is out there. And then find out like of those things, which might be best for me. Love that. Yeah. And it makes so much sense. And <laughs> I'm just flashing back to a time when I walked into some uh, former boss, actually a great guy. I heard him get off the phone with someone. He just sold his house. He's like, uh, I'm going to need some like advice on what to do with this money. So uh, we'll talk about that on our uh, next call or meeting. And I was like, uh Oh, <laughs> 
<laughs> hope you're ready for that. Anyway, <laughs> it can happen. I can, I totally hear what you're saying. Especially with windfalls. Like it's yeah. so funny when a windfall happens, inheritance, a home sale, lottery winnings, like they are ready for people who don't know what to do with money. Money that is quickly gained is quickly lost quite often. Yeah. Makes sense. And luckily they didn't have a lifestyle that requires it. So like while disappointing, it doesn't have a huge lifestyle change. But still, if I could prevent that and help people with that, I'd love to. That's cool. Yeah. Mm. Well, we will definitely hope help to push people toward you in that in that vein. If you could share one more thing about this topic, this idea of real financial freedom with our dear listener, what would it be? Your money and your time are your two biggest resources, and often they are at odds with each other. So always, whenever you have a moment, take a deep breath, take a step back, and really prioritize. What do I want to do with this one amazing, precious life that I have, and how can money help me achieve that instead of the other way around? How do I use my life to get money, to get the stuff that I think I need? Right? Like really think about what you want and be super, super intentional, number one, with your money, but also with your time. Like who you spend your time with, who you surround yourself with is equally important as to how you spend. Love it. So Thank empowering. you. Yeah. Hey, that's why I'm with you guys. I was like spending a time, spending an hour talking to you. Like, yes, that's how I want to invest my time. Right? Like that is something I want to invest in because you guys are awesome. And I love your mission. I love what you're doing. And I'm so thrilled to be part of it. Oh, thank Ditto. you so much. Yeah. Right back at you for yeah. sure. So we have some questions that we ask to all of our guests and we start off just thinking about fun because we think it's important to not take ourselves or our careers too seriously. So what would you say is the most fun that you've had in your career so far? Such a good question. Um, and it's such a hard one. The most fun I've had in my career in general, it would be learning and experiencing on someone else's dime. Mm. So I've been out to many a, a restaurant uh, and I've seen many countries and cities while working to do so. And that was really, really cool. Like getting to meet the people of, of many countries and many ages and actually getting paid to do that. That was super, super fun. <laughs> so cool. Similar, but different question that we also like to ask is around risk because we feel like there is risk in any career or perceived risk anyways. What would you say the biggest risk you've taken was and how did it turn out? Yeah, so the biggest risk I've taken was starting my own company and so far so good. <laughs> but I'll check back in later and let you know. I have a different metric of success than others. So when I've spoken with other entrepreneurs, they're often stressed thinking about how can I replace the same income? And to me, that's unlikely, right? You're giving up some of that income to have a lifestyle that you want far more. So to me, if I learn something new every day and I meet some cool people and I can cover the bills, I'm winning. That's how I see success. But like knowing that definition for you will help you take calculated risks so that they don't feel risky. Love it. It's amazing. That was really amazing advice. And I'm now curious to know what's the best piece of advice, career advice that you've ever received? 
so when I was in my 20s, I realized I was really good as a retirement educator. And I thought, I am winning. Like I figured out what I'm supposed to do. I'm good at this. I'm set for 40 years. And I told someone who I knew and he said, oh, great. You know, one thing you're good at, what else can you do? And I was instantly crushed. Like I really thought I'd figured it out and I was successful. And then his response at first made me feel like completely lost and a complete failure again. But with perspective, I realized he spoke to the element of change in life and how it's very rare for someone to have one career. So you should always be thinking about what other skills can I develop? How else can I grow? How can I pivot when things change? Don't just be good at one thing and rest on your laurels. Every time we ask that question, we always get such a different, unique response. And that's just another great one right there. Just, I mean, I say don't judge it too hard, but right now I'm judging it as pretty awesome. So thanks. Thanks for that. Judge away. Keep telling me I'm awesome. (laughs) That is, that's pretty easy to do. Um, (laughs) So where can people go to find out more about you and the work that you're doing, Jennifer? Oh, I made a website. It's my name. It makes me really easy to find. Uh, And of course, I am on all social medias, but the website is probably the best one that I keep up with. I have had some hilarious attempts at Instagram and TikTok as like the oldest millennial that you will find. Uh, But yeah, mostly finding me on my website, finding me on LinkedIn, emailing me. I love interacting with people. And as I'm starting a business, now I have more time than I will later. So take full advantage now because eventually I'll have far less tired. I won't be as accessible. Love that for sure. Get in on the ground floor, dear listener, while you still can. JenniferTzahady.com, right? Jennifer Sahati. Yeah.com. Oh, that's good. I've been like mispronouncing your name the whole time. Sorry about that. It's funny. There's three ways to pronounce my name, right? Sahati is like the phonetic normal way. And then you can get Sahati. And I always tell people I'm not a hater. And then my <laughs> favorite, which only happens like one in 10 times is shady. They just drop the first day entirely. <laughs> They're like, I don't know how to pronounce this. Oh, without the A, I know this word. She's shady. And I always tell people that I would not have survived in finance for as long as I had if my last name was shady. Oh, that's so my good. My favorite travel stories was when I got an upgrade because the flight at the gate agent thought that my name was funny. So she called it out over the loudspeaker and said like, <laughs> will the real Slim Shady please stand up? <laughs> And if you're giving me an upgrade to first class, you can absolutely call me shady. (laughs) Yeah, you you bring an amazing lightness to everything that you've discussed for sure tonight. And it's our pleasure to just point as many people as possible toward you. Thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Oh my goodness. Thank you guys so much. Finance should be fun, right? Like this is the key to your whole life and all of your dreams. So like, why not have fun with it? Yes. Thank you so much for your energy and your insight and everything that you've given us tonight. Thank you both. Keep being your awesome selves. Thank you. I think we can call it a week at that for the Career Builders podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Blaine. We hope you are well and we hope you'll join us again soon. Go check out Jennifer Sahadi. Bye for now. Hey there. Thanks for tuning into another episode of the Career Builders podcast. Do you know someone who takes their career seriously and would appreciate the show? Why not share it with them? You'll help your friend with their career development while helping us spread the message of TCBP. On behalf of Lisa and myself, thanks for your support, and we'll catch you again next week.